Amen. What a blessing to be here to see each one gathered with us. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn them to the text for this morning's message. Let's stand together for that text. It's going to be found in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I want to read verse 10 through verse 13. We'll be focusing on one verse in particular, but I want to turn your attention to the phrasing there. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 10. Paul writing here to the church at Rome, the Spirit speaking through him. God's very word to us this morning. God's word says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business or busyness, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Our focus this morning will be verse 11. Not slothful in busyness or not lacking in diligence, but fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask now as we come to the time of preaching that you would draw us closer to you, remove the distractions that might be in our minds and our hearts. Lord, in fact, revive our hearts this morning as only you can through your spirit, that you would break the walls that we've put up or maybe uh, bring us back to, to life where we have become hard and cold and um, unfeeling, Lord. Help us to be fervent in our spirits. And do that work in us this morning as we turn to your word and hear what you have to say for us. I thank you for all that you've done. In the precious name of Jesus, I ask this. Amen. So, as we're walking together through the book of Romans, we've been spending a lot of time in this practical section. Um, it's really an application of the previous 11 chapters. Chapter 1 through 11 of Romans are, are soaked through with doctrine. It tells us about salvation. It tells us about sin. It tells us how we ought to give our life to Him and be part of His people as Spirit-filled and Spirit-led examples and and servants of God. When He comes to chapter 12, He begins to take all that truth and apply it to everyday life. Since this is the case, since you are blood-bought and since you are Spirit-filled and you are uh, following Him, This is how your life ought to look. And so in chapter 12, he's been telling this. Because of who we are in Christ, we are to be different now. It does no good if we look and act the same as the world around us. Then people's not going to know there's anything different or that Christ changes lives. But when you see somebody who used to be lost but now is found, who used to be um, captivated and... and, uh, um, What's the word? I'm overcome with sin. And now they're walking around free and joyful and and speaking of the one who has set them free. There's a difference. People notice. People see. These things are to be markers of him in us. Things like he says in chapter 12 and verse 1 that we are to willingly serve him. There ought to be a willingness, a desire to serve him. Or verse 2 that we have to that we ought to have a, a <clears throat> a transformed mind, not a conformed mind, but a transformed mind. And he goes on in the rest of chapter 12 that we've looked at to say we need to have this humble mind, a humble mind and a unity within the body of Christ, within the local church, as we exercise our unique talents and our gifts to support each other and to serve God. 
And we talked about love, right? Verse 9 and 10, we spent a lot of time there. Love, perhaps, is the most evident marker that we are God's. People see the love that we have for God and the love that we have for each other and the love that we have for the world. And Paul's continuing in that kind of thinking through the rest of the book. Laying down Christian qualities. You want to know what it means to be a Christian? I would start looking right here. How we act and what we do and who we are. Paul is laying that out. And he does it in really short, simple statements. They're really easy to understand, but when you think about them, they become very deep when you spend time with them. Like we we looked at, let love be without dissimulation or let love be without hypocrisy. Well, that's really easy to understand, but when you really start to think about it, man, it, it runs deep, doesn't it? How deep love can go. And what I want to focus on this morning is verse 11. And I want to start out with touching on a very important principle in our lives, one that we're, always, we're all familiar with in some ways, one that we've all experienced, and that is work. Work, our job, our vocation. Verse 11 starts out saying, not slothful in business or busyness. You've probably heard the phrase, or maybe you've been asked the question, are you working hard or hardly working? Maybe your answer is different depending on the day. And quite assuredly, usually your assessment is that you're most certainly the one who's working hard and everybody else is hardly working. If you spend any time being around other people on a job site, you wonder what they do all day to get paid. Because you know what you do, right? You're familiar with that. You've heard that. I want to follow that kind of line of thinking today. And I I, want to start by asking that. Are you working hard or are you hardly working? We know this concept because we do it every day. We should. We have a job that we go to, a job that pays us money with which we buy housing or food or transportation or enjoyment or whatever it may be, uh, time to get away on a vacation, we go to a job to earn money to do that. And that is a biblical principle. I want to say that right from the get-go. That's a biblical principle. The concept of working is given to us right at the start of Scripture. As we've been studying recently in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, God places Adam in the Garden of Eden to do something. Not just to lay around and sun himself with the palm leaves. No, he places him there to tend it, to dress and to keep the garden. Adam is working before the fall. And that means it's a good and godly principle. Sometimes we think work is a curse. And it is uh, something we would rather do without. You understand it's placed before the fall. So it means it's a good principle. After the fall, it is cursed and it becomes toil and labor and what we are familiar with. But before, it's not that. I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's things that you like to do that might be uh, a job or they might have labor in them. But while you're doing them, you don't find them to be toil. If it's working on a car, or maybe an old classic car, or maybe it's tending to your garden. Brother Worski has made it clear many times he likes to go and hoe weeds in a garden. Well, to me, that sounds like work. <laughs> not, not my 
cup of tea. But for him, it's not a job. He, he, he's made uh, clear many times he likes to do that. Just the same for me, tinkering on a, an old car to some sounds terrible. But to me, it's enjoyable. You, there are things we do that we work at that aren't laborious. That is a marker and an evidence of what God did before the fall. It's biblical to work. And I'm, I feel as if I'm speaking to the choir on this, because I know you guys, I know the effort you put into your jobs, and whether, it's self, whether you're self-employed or you work for a company, I believe that's commendable. We get this, and we need to uh, remember that. But it still needs to be taught. In the church house, it needs to be taught that working is a biblical thing. Because something has gone wrong, hasn't it? Verse 11 says, to not be slothful in business. I I like the King James on that, that word slothful. Because it paints a good picture. You ever seen a sloth? They are the craziest looking things. Ugly as all sin. (laughs) Maybe you like them. I don't think I'd ever buy my kids a stuffed sloth animal. They're just... They, they move so slow, algae grows on them. They're blind in bright daylight. They move like 125 feet a day. That's the max. And they sleep like 15 hours a day. And you know what? That sounds like a lot of people I know, honestly. <laughs> they come out of their house. Ah, oh, they can't see. They've been in there so long staring at a screen. They sleep the day away and... If they didn't take a shower, I'm sure algae would grow on their clothes. (laughs) Some people I know think that working a job is just about the worst thing imaginable. That sounds terrible to me. I'd rather stay at home. And I I, I think we need to touch on this. The Bible knows nothing about laziness. Working is biblical. Having a job, earning a living is biblical. In fact... History knows nothing of laziness, really. Not until now or not until recently. Up to uh, just a few decades ago, if you wanted to eat, you had to grow the food. You had to go out there and harvest it. You had to grow out there and and, uh, take care of it. If you did, you ate. If not, no eating for you. But modern convenience has changed things, right? You can order it on your phone. You don't ever have to leave your house. It's dropped off at your door. I don't think that's been for our good because it's brought a mindset with it, a mindset of laziness. Beloved, we're living in some strange times right now for for a lot of reasons. People are saying UFOs are real. Do you you understand that? The whole world has lost its ever-loving mind. Oh, one reason, let's just say one reason things are so strange is people don't want to work. The workforce is being decimated at an alarming rate. Just ask anybody who's trying to hire. I am try- I've got two jobs out right now for well over twice minimum wage. One of them comes with free medical, a pension, a guaranteed hours. The others knock on the door of 40 bucks an hour. You know how many applicants I've had for both combined? One. And that's because I hired him from another company to work and fill the slot. 
That means zero, zero outside applicants for a very well-paying, stable job at a stable company. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. People don't want to work. Why do you think some of these uh, restaurants are going under or are having a problem? It's not just because of the pandemic. It's because people don't want to come to work. They don't want to have the job. They would much more rather stay home and fully depend on the government to pay them, feed them, house them, to do everything, rather than go out themselves and earn a living. Which is exactly what a socialist agenda wants, by the way. Full government control. Well, I, I think we need to be crystal clear as we see this going on and people staying home on unemployment and, and doing all of these these other things that rather than go out and earn a living, let's be clear, that's not biblical. The Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible points to the fact that we ought to work. I want you to see this with me. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. I just want to go to a couple places as we we look at this this morning. Proverbs chapter 13 and look at verse 4. Proverbs 13 and verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. How many people do you, you hear in your life that say, Oh, I wish I had this and I just want that and I wish I drove this kind of car and I wish I lived here and I wish I had all these things, but oh, I don't get them. Why don't they get them? Probably because they're not going out and working for them. You understand we're in America. If you want something and you work hard enough for it, you can get it. It says the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. I, I like that terminology. You want to you wanna have a good house and a good home and a good living? Be diligent about working, not slothful, as the other passage says. Too many people sit back and they wish they could have it all handed to them. And the Bible says the one who goes out and works gets it. Look at Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24 and verse 30. says this, Proverbs 24 and 30, I went by the field of the slothful, there's that word again, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. And then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction, yet a little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Paints a picture for us now. The vineyard, the field of the lazy man who's not taking care of it. It ends up being destroyed because of his lack of attention, because of his laziness. Chapter 26. This is... I love passages like this. <laughs> It just, they're awesome. Proverbs 26 and verse 13. The slothful man saith, there's a lion in the way, there's a lion in the streets. And as the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful on his bed. Hey, there's danger out there. Somebody ought to do something about it, but I'm going to lay in bed. (laughs) There's work to be done. Somebody needs to do something, but I'm not going to. 
Verse 15, the slothful hideth his, his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men can render a reason. There's always excuses why I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that or why I should stay home or why I deserve you to give me this free. You've heard it. You've seen it in society all around. It's not new. The Bible's talking about this thousands of years ago. And it's not supporting it, is it? No, it's saying it's condemning it, saying this is wrong. Let's go to the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians, just, just a couple verses here, and then we'll move on towards a close. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is Paul writing to the church here at Thessalonica. Listen to what he says about working. Now we command you, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or for free. But we wrought with labor and travail day and night that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Paul is saying, hey, while we were with you guys, we set an example. We didn't take your bread and all that for free. No, we worked with our hands day and night. Verse 9, not because we have not power, not because we didn't deserve it, which they did, right? They could have said, hey, we're apostles, we're pastors, we're servants. We're deserving, and Scripture would back that up, of, of the things that you would give us. He said, but no, we didn't do that. We made ourselves an example to you, for to, uh, an example unto you to follow us. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, Neither should he eat. Well, that just blows welfare out of the water, doesn't it? And I'm not talking about the people that are on it because they're disabled or because they're having trouble finding a job. I'm talking about the people that are on it because they don't want to work. What does the Bible say? If any does not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And there's many more we could go to, but you get the point, right? It's biblical to work. It's not biblical to sit back and be lazy and do nothing. Yeah, that means even if the job is hard at times and even if you don't like it, right? I just came through doing a budget at work. I don't like the budget. <laughs> I sit down with a spreadsheet that has literally millions of dollars on it for, to spend for the next year. I've never done it before. My boss has never done it before. He's new too. We've got millions of dollars to play with. This is going to be great. <laughs> Just put it in different places. And I don't know how that couple extra $100,000 got in the bonus section for me. I just put numbers where I thought they should go. And you sit down and you look at boxes and spreadsheets. I don't like that. And I know who is probably listening El Presidente, and I don't like the budget. I don't like the budget. What do I do? Quit my job? 
No, you work. You do it. Even through the hard times, through the things that you don't like, through the difficult things, because I believe it is a God-given responsibility that we do so. I can't make it much simpler than that. I can't break it down much more than that. So if you're wondering what to do, let me just quote to you the silhouettes from 1957 when they say, get a job. But there's something more here. I think there's something more here, and here's where we need to stop and think. That perhaps Paul is talking more about, more than just about a physical job. He's talking more than physical laziness. There's something beyond it. And here's where it's going to start to sting a little. Because in some measure, we all might be guilty of laziness spiritually. Of spiritual laziness. Of being diligent in serving the Lord. Can I ask you that question? Are you working hard or hardly working? Now listen, you're going to do one of two, three, one of three things with this as we continue on. And I want to say it up front. You're either going to rationalize away what you don't do to, uh, uh, and what you should do into some comfortable oblivion, making yourself feel good for doing whatever you want. You're going to ignore and reject and say, who is this guy to tell me what to do? I'm out of here, whatever. Say what you're going to want. Or you're going to listen We're going to admit our failures and we're going to ask the Lord to help. I pray that you would do the last one with me. Because let me tell you right now, I fail in this too often. I can work my job good, but am I diligent in serving the Lord like I should be? Go back to Romans chapter 12 if you've turned and look at verse 11. Not slothful in busyness or not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's that last phrase in that verse that leads me to believe he's talking more than just about our vocation. He's talking about serving Him. And we are called to serve Him. Chapter one, uh, Verse 1 of chapter 12 says it's a reasonable service that we commit our lives to Him. In light of all He's done for us, we ought to serve Him. I think we all agree with it. But just as a lazy mindset has taken root in society and people don't want to work, I fear, the same that, that, I fear the same has happened to God's people spiritually. We've gotten kind of lazy, and we rather like to sit back and do nothing. We may be very diligent to not be lazy physically, but are we just as diligent in our spiritual lives? And it's one phrase that has stuck, struck me this week, and I want to set before you. It's right in the middle of the verse. Fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. Now, the the Greek definition helps here, okay? The word fervent is zeo. You know what it means? To boil with heat. Like a boiling pot of water to be moving, to be hot. Or glowing even. It's used two times in Scripture. One here and one of Apollos. In, in uh, Acts chapter 18, when he says he's going around fervent in spirit and he's making disciples and teaching the Jews and all that, and he's on fire. It's the root word of zealous, which is used many times in Scripture. It's a spirit 
that is stirred, moving like boiling water within you, driven, motivated, burning within you like fire. When's the last time you felt that? When is the last time you felt that for God specifically? Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's been some time since your heart and spirit was fervent for Him. Moved, driven, stirred for Him. Because it's not that we aren't moved at all. Oh, we're moved by plenty of things. We often are moved for other things rather than God. We want to save up for some purchase so it burns within us to work hard and save up enough to get a house or a car or clothes or whatever. It's that burning within us to meet that goal or we, we want to move up in the company so we work long hours and we do what we should because we want to reach that goal and it's something that drives us. Or to, to accomplish some achievement. We know what being fervent is. And by the way, none of those things are evil. I'm not saying that, so hear me on that. I'm just saying that we are fervent most often for everything else other than God. Diligent in everything else but our service to Him. And I think Satan's done a pretty good job at distracting us. Taking things that are good and meant for the glory of God and meant to to draw our hearts closer to Him, and making those things so appealing that we elevate them above God, and our heart is captivated with those things rather than God Himself. That's the trap that most Christians fall in today, like a raccoon. You know how to catch a raccoon easy? You take a a log and you cut a hole that's just big enough for their hand to to fit through, and you put a piece of shiny something in there. You know what that raccoon is going to do? They're going to go and they're going to grab the shiny thing. And if the hole's just right, they can't get their hand back out. And they'll be trapped. Well, you know, they could let go and run away, but they won't. They want the shiny stuff. And so they'll hold on even if it means their death. Christians have fallen into that trap. We hold on to the shiny stuff rather than the one who gave it. And so... We face far too much uh, tribulation, far too much heartache because we've fallen into that trap. Perhaps what I'm saying this morning and what I want to press upon your hearts is it's time for a change of heart. It's time for a change of heart that we be fervent more about Him. I can't do that for you. I wish I could. I wish there was some form of saying that would send instant revival and, and uh, set us on fire. I can't do that. That's God's work. That's between you and God. All I can do this morning is maybe simply remind us of reality. And not in a guilt-producing way. But to simply wake us up, and my, myself included, to, to rub the sleep out of our eyes and our minds to wake us up to what we know to be true, and that is eternal things. What I'm saying is this. Perhaps the best way to rekindle the fire is to look around you and consider the eternity of all that you know and all that you see. Every person at your job, every person in your family, all of your friends, all of your acquaintances, everyone that you meet on the street has an eternity. And we know the reality of heaven and hell, don't we? We know that heaven is real. 
We know that hell is real. We know that all have sinned and will face judgment before God. They will pay the wages of sin. We know that. And we know everyone we meet needs a Savior. It's not by being less bad or by helping others, but it's by the blood of Jesus and placing our faith in Him that we are forgiven, that we are saved. We know the life and peace that He gives, and most everyone that you meet does not. They don't know Him. And they are a heartbeat away from eternal judgment. You stop and you really think about that. You really let that settle in, I pray it's going to affect your heart. That person you talk to tomorrow needs to know Jesus or they face an eternity in hell. And you know. You know personally what Jesus can do. That'll start your heart burning. It'll start you to say, man, I need to tell them. They need to know, like, right now. Do we care, or are we too consumed with other things? Are those people that we meet just a customer? Like, hey, agree and give me money so I can move on to the next guy. Are they just a co-worker that you have to endure for eight hours or whatever? Or do you stop, look past the immediate to their eternal soul? And see that they are a precious creation of God that Jesus came to save. That same Jesus that you know personally, that has forgiven your sins and given you eternal life. He wants to do the same for every single person you see and talk to. And He has committed to you that responsibility. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Does your heart burn with that? Oh, it ought to. And I think if we truly begin to consider that, you let that sink in, it's going to start to light a fire. And then we'll find ourselves working more. Perhaps we need to pray for a revival in this. That God would give us that fervent spirit in serving Him. Let's finish up with this thought. We ought to be fervent in serving Him. That's the command. That's the expectation. To serve Him diligently and fervently. Yet such a simple concept is so foreign to the average church member today. Work? I do that at my job. I don't do that for the Lord. Me? What? What are you talking about work? Yes. (laughs) The Bible calls us to serve the Lord. Not for salvation, but because of salvation, right? We serve Him because of what He has done for us. And Jesus makes this pretty clear. We don't have time this morning, but we could go to the parable in Matthew chapter 25 of the talents. One guy's given five talents, the other guy's given two talents, and all servants, the other guy's given one. Well, two of them work hard and they double it, right? And when Jesus comes back, or the Lord comes back, He says, well done. I'm going to make you ruler over my things. And the one servant doesn't. He hides it in the ground. He doesn't do anything. He just sits on it. When the Lord comes back, what does he say? You wicked and slothful servant. There's that word again. 
you wicked and slothful servant. There's, a, there's a many things you could have done. In fact, take it away. You lost what you could have had. Two were working hard. One was hardly working. Revelation 22 says this, Behold, Jesus speaking, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward, literally, my wages that will be paid for work, is with me to give every man according as his work should be. Are you going to get a paycheck when he comes? Or nada? You know... (laughs) Most hold to some socialist idea of Christianity where everyone is the same and it doesn't matter what you do or if you work or if you don't, it's all the same. And that is not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us to be about His work. Blessed is that servant when his Lord comes that he finds working. My reward, my payment is with me for those who are faithfully serving me. 1 Corinthians 3 says we're building on the foundation of Jesus either spiritually valuable things or we're not. But in one way or another, we're building. We are working. So I ask again, are you working hard for Him? Or are you hardly working for Him? (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's like literally mind-blowing, jaw-dropping, eye-popping. Can you imagine the Jesus bomb we could drop on San Dimas? I'm talking... Full pews, the choir box filled with the people in robes and swaying back and forth and clapping and raising hands to aisle fly away and this place busting at the seams, buying property, building projects. Can you imagine the New Testament church life-changing explosion that, we, that could happen if we, it's waiting for us to light the fuse if we were as diligent and fervent about serving the Lord as we were about our own jobs? That's truth. Truth. If you worked 10% for the Lord, what you did on a weekly basis, it would change everything. Not drop service to Him to go serve it the other more. We wonder why churches are stagnant. We wonder why people aren't being saved, why people aren't coming in. Number one, God never changes. His truth has not changed. He still saves. The Great Commission still stands. And the biggest reason why not is because we go not. We are fervent about serving every other thing than the Lord. The modern Baptist cries out, There's lost in the streets. There's lost in the streets. As they roll around in their comfy little lives like a door on its hinges. The lazy church desires growth and has none. But the diligent one is made fat. The slothful Christian holds his testimony close and it wearies him to share it. And he has more excuses why he doesn't than seven men can render to him. I went by the modern Baptist church full of lazy, comfortable Christians, and it was grown over with weeds and cares of the world that had choked out the Word, and the pews were empty, and the lamp was really dim. I considered it well. A little comfort, a little complacency, a little excuse, and your destruction comes. 
We didn't receive this from our forefathers. In fact, we hear that there are some among you who don't do anything but get all up in each other's business. (laughs) We exhort you by Jesus Christ, get to work. Be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Oh, may the Lord make our hearts clear on this. May He open our eyes and ignite our hearts May He revive us again to be diligent for Him. Diligent so that we are quick to drop everything to serve Him. Not the other way around. We're so quick to do that sometimes. He's the first one cut. Why don't we be like Peter and Andrew and James and John. When they got the call, what did they do? They dropped everything and followed Him. And that little church of 12 people turned the world upside down. Didn't they? Why? Because they were diligent to serve Him. I can't do that for you. I can't force it. That's between you and God. All I can do is point to the need of my own heart and of all of our hearts that we be reminded of what He's done for us, reminded of of all that He's called us to and that He would ignite that fire within us once again. Are you working hard or are you hardly working? You may be working hard in your physical job, but what about the Lord's work? How about we be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, help us in this today. There's so many things that can distract us, Lord, and even good things that you have ordained us to do and given for us to do, like providing for our families, Lord. Help us to put all of those things in their proper place and you above all. And help us this morning. Help me. I pray for myself first, Lord, that... You would revive our hearts. You would make our hearts tender. You would open our eyes to the needs around us and the calling that you have called us to. To tell people about your son who has died on the cross for them. To tell people of his body here as we can serve him and be close to him and and honor you in all that we do. Lord, tell us all that you have committed to us. Help all that you have committed to us burn within us so that we may tell those around us, Lord. Help us not to get distracted and dim in our witness and become rather lazy. Lord, instead, reignite the fire. Would you do that in us today, Lord, within each individual heart, as only you can do? I thank you for all that you've done. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.